This morning I'm starting into a new series and it's out of Matthew chapter 5. And over the next few weeks we'll be looking at verses 21 through 48. I've entitled this series Heart Attack. And unfortunately some people in this room you may have dealt with that physical aspect of having a heart attack. Or someone in your family has dealt with that. It is, it is sudden. Many a times you have no idea it's going to come upon you. You know, we, we really don't know what's going on inside of our bodies until something bad really happens. I want to tell you this, the Lord is the same way. A lot of times we go about our lives and we have no idea that something is about to happen. When the Lord looks upon our heart and He attacks our heart because our motives have not been pure. Our thoughts have not been pure. Our words have not been pure. Our relationships have not been pure. And he comes to us and he attacks our heart. Why is it that you said that? Why is it that you did that? Throughout the Old Testament, and as you'll see over the coming weeks, Jesus recalls our mind back to the Old Testament, to many of the Old Testament, to the Ten Commandments, as a matter of fact. There in verse 21, he starts off with what you have heard said. He says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hands you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly I say to you. You will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Jesus is all about, you know, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to do away with it. Jesus, when he was baptized, he said, I must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He does not wipe it away. He does not erase it. So Jesus, in these next few weeks, and specifically today, he addresses something that was said in the Old Testament. And he says, this is how it starts. But I want to tell you, this is where it begins. Religion, they had it in the Old Testament, but they didn't know where it began. It begins with Christ. They thought it began with the law. But it begins with Christ. And from Christ, the law is a schoolmaster that points us to Christ. Because only the law can do is show you what you've broken. But Jesus tells you who is the one that was broken for you. So we come to Jesus and Jesus tells the disciples here, there in verse 21, we see, if you look back in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus, he's speaking to the multitudes. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And I call it the splash effect, if you will, because what he did first was he called the disciples to himself on that mountainside and the multitude gathered to him as well. And as he spoke to the disciples... If you read there in, in Matthew 5, 1, if you have that opened in your Bible, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. 
Now that might be, there were many people who were disciples of Jesus, but specifically this is the apostles, and then there were other followers as well that they came to be known as disciples of Christ. And so here they were, and Jesus is teaching them. He teaches them the Beatitudes. And then you skip on over to verse 13, and he teaches them about being salt and light. And then in, in verse 17, he talks about how Christ fulfills the law. Exactly what I'm talking about now. How he is the fulfillment of the law. And then we get down to verse 21. And we find what we just read just a moment ago. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. The, the people that were here in the presence of Jesus' teaching were not ignorant to the Old Testament laws. They were not ignorant to the Jewish traditions. They knew the Ten Commandments. So Jesus says, let me start off building with what you know. Many a times, you know, when people are young in the faith or they need to come along, we've got to start with the building blocks. We've got to start with the building blocks. And Jesus says, you know what has been said. And this is what has been said, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now I want you to understand murder is not the same thing. This word is uh, it, it's talking about premeditated. It's a premeditated act um, and it's deliberate. That's what he's talking about. There's different ways, you know, there's justifiable, there's self-defense, there's all these, uh, there's going out for a military cause, a right to, for fighting on behalf of people that's justified, but there is, there is murder that is not justified and that's what this scripture is talking about right here. You shall not murder. Um, and the sixth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, and also in Deuteronomy 5, 17 is where Jesus is quoting from. He says, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. And Jesus says, but I say to you, first off, you've heard it said, and now you hear what Jesus says. And Jesus says, but I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. There's three actions and then the potential consequences of those actions that Jesus says right here in verse 22. When it says, but whoever is angry, it's talking about an internal problem. And when we are inappropriately angry with people, we attempt to take their identity and value. We, we attempt to take their identity and value as God's creature away from them. And the ultimate form of which is the physical act of murder. Not just taking their identity, but taking their life from them. And that's what he's talking about. Hate equates to murder, is what Jesus is saying. We must be cautious about what's in our heart. The scripture tells us from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when people say something, they say, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, yeah, they did. Oh, yeah, they did. They just didn't mean for it to slip out between their, between their lips. It's what they didn't mean. Oh, I was thinking it, and it was in my heart, but I really didn't mean for you to hear it. But from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother. Now, now who is this? Now, I want you to understand, Jesus first addresses close relationships, specifically community, communal, or church-type fellowship. And he wants us to have a reconciliation there uh, with those people. He says, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother. Well, who is that brother? When not referring to a biological sibling, 
This consistently means a fellow member of the religious community and usually refers to Jesus' disciples here in the context of the Bible. That's what it's talking about. He said, whoever of you is angry with his brother. Why is it that churches don't grow? Because many people have problems with one another and they don't get it right. They don't try to get it right. They say, oh, we'll just sweep it under the rug. Maybe it'll go away. And then the next pastor comes in and, and there's no growth. There's nothing going on. You wonder what's going on. People ain't reconciled. People ain't got things right. You got to get things right. There's, there's a problem here. There's someone who is angry with his brother without a cause. Now, the Bible tells us, be ye angry and do not sin. There's nothing wrong with being angry. But right here, you're angry with, with, without a cause. He says, but whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. But if you've got a cause, you're not in danger of the judgment. If there's a, a biblical sound reason why you are not right with somebody, you still need to go talk to them about it and try to get that corrected. Don't avoid it. Try to deal with it. The Bible also lays out a plan about how to deal with that. How to deal with conflict within the church. How to deal with conflict with your brother or sister in Christ. And you need to take those, take those uh, action methods to resolve the issues. Then he says, he takes it one step further. He says, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Now, if you've got a New Living Translation, this word Raka it says it in there. It says, if you call someone an idiot. If you call someone an idiot or someone who is empty-headed. That's what that word means. Literally means empty-headed. If anyone says to you, y'all, you empty-headed, no good, or something like that. You know, airhead. You've probably heard somebody called that before. Same thing, empty-headed, airhead, all these things. He's saying, you're going to be a danger of the council. Now, if we back up just a little bit, the council is different from judgment. In the first part of verse 22, judgment may refer to a local religious authority. It could mean the Sanhedrin or God's final judgment. But the council is very clear. That is, that is the people that are in charge of Sanhedrin. You just, it was a, in Jewish culture, it was terrible to call somebody a name. You know, people call each other names all the time. Probably most of the time you joke around with your best friends and have a name for them, you know. But that is not, that was not the way things were handled back then. When people would say, uh, Rocco, or in a minute you'll see you fool, which is an even greater problem. The problem is, is when we start calling people by names, calling them names, we are devaluing the people. And that's a sin. And it manifests itself in many ways. We need to be mindful of what we say to people in their presence and not. Be careful of what you're saying. The Bible tells us that we'll be held accountable for every empty word that we speak. Well, a lot of more people would be holding their tongue then, wouldn't they, if they really thought about that. If we really thought about that, I say people, myself included. We need to be real careful. Jesus is saying to them, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be a danger of the judgment. Whoever says his brother Raka shall be a danger of the council. And then he says, but whoever says you fool shall be a danger of hell fire. This word, you fool, it means they considerately act like an idiot. Con consistently, excuse me, act like an idiot. And that has overtones of immorality and godlessness. That's what he's talking about when he says you fool. I mean, that is, that's really bad. And like I said already, the Jewish people, this was, name calling was Highly insulting to them. 
highly insulting. Today, you know, uh, people use that old cliche that we used in, in school. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, which we know that's not true. Really and truly, words stick with us much longer, especially for people that we think care about us. Words stick much longer than that. So we need to be mindful of the words we use. That's part of what Jesus is saying here. Be mindful of the words you're using. Scripture tells us that we should take every thought captive. Take every thought captive before you release it out. Because they say, you know, once you release a word, you can't take it back, which is absolute truth. Once you release a word, you can't take it back. So be mindful. Something comes into your mind, evaluate it. Present it before the judge, Jesus Christ. And say, God, is this worth releasing? Is this edifying? Is this encouraging to the person? I mean, even sometimes you might have to speak constructively to someone. Think about how you're going to say it. Don't say it in emotion because a lot of emotion gets us, ooh, emotion will get you in a lot of trouble. You better think about it. Take things in. Think about it. Pray over it. Sometimes you might need to take a whole day before you respond to somebody. You know, used to be they'd say, count to 10. 10 ain't long enough for me sometimes. Might need to count to a hundred or a thousand. Right? Because sometimes people will say things, you're just like, off the cuff, I just want to snap back. And you can't take those words back. You can't take those words back. But I want to tell you what's in the heart will overflow from the lips. You better be mindful of what you say. Scripture says we will be held accountable for every idle word that we speak. We need to be cautious of that. Be very mindful of what we are saying. So you've heard it said, and then Jesus says, I say to you, but then we look here and we have community reconciliation. Look there in verse 23. It says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now there's, Jesus expects us to bring gifts to the altar. Jesus expects us to come bearing gifts to his name. Now this gift specifically is most likely a tithe. And, and back then, you know, you had various tithes. It wasn't just financial. There was a grain offering. There was the wave offering. There was a bunch of different offerings that they had to do in the Old Testament. And Jesus knew there were different offerings that they gave. In this gift that you were giving. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar. And it's not if you bring your gift. That if is tied to the next line. Okay? The if is tied to the next line. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar. And there, remember, your brother has something against you. There would be no if. If the second line was not there. So there's you want to have guiltless worship. You come into worship, you got guilt on your heart, you're struggling with something. This is the way that you, uh, these are steps you take to guiltless worship. The first thing you do, you do bring your gift. It's expected of you and I to bring, of you and me, to bring our gift to the altar. But then if we come to the altar, because once you get to the altar, you need to pray over that gift, Right? That God use it for his glory. That if you're offering it to the church, that the church use it for his glory. So that people may come to faith in Jesus Christ. So people be strengthened in Jesus Christ. Whatever that gift may be. So you bring that gift. And if you bring that gift to the altar. And there remember that your brother has something against you. You get there. You've got that gift. 
and you're about to pray over it, his offering, and the Lord brings something to your heart. This is not right with you. Somebody's not right with you. You come back for us today, it would be like, go sit on the front pew. Sit on the front pew. Go get right with whomever it may be that you have an issue with. That's what he says, right? Leave your gift there before the altar. So you, you bring your gift. We should always be about bringing our gift to the altar. Secondly, once we get to the altar, we should be praying about our motive, our heart in the gift. And there, remember that your brother has something to get you because God's going to bring it up. God's going to bring it up because God wants his gifts given in a pure motive and a pure heart. And God brings it up. And there you remember, oh, my brother has something against me. And that means a just claim. They've got a just claim that you've done something that's not right. But you need to get it right. Then what you do, you leave your gift there before the altar. And go your way. It doesn't mean like go your own way. I'm going to go my own way. You know that song? It, it means go Find wherever that person is that you've got an issue with. If you've got to leave this fellowship here and go outside the door and find that person, you go find them and you get right. Your gift will not be blessed. You will not be blessed by your gift giving if you've got a problem with somebody. We've got to have community reconciliation, congregational reconciliation. Or your gift is worthless before the Lord. If you've got a problem with somebody... Get it right. He says, bring your gift to the altar. There, remember that your brother has something against you, a just claim. Then leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. And what should you do when you find that brother or sister in Christ? Notice we're still using the language of brother. You're still within the community of faith, of fellowship here. This is not even talking about what you deal with with people outside. We're about to deal with that. That's societal reconciliation. But right here, we're talking about community reconciliation. He says, go be reconciled to your brother. Go be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. So you've got your gift. You want to have guiltless worship. You're going to come up. And you come up and you, you, you start to lay that down. And you begin to pray. And you say, God, give me clarity. Lord, I want to offer this with a pure heart and a pure mind. And God says, so-and-so, you've said something to so-and-so. Or someone said something to you. You need to go to that individual and say, will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me for what I've done? Or can we, can we work this out? It might not be that you were the person that said something. You say, God, give me clarity on what I need to do. And you walk over to that person and you say, God, help me reconcile with you. God, help me reconcile with this individual that I've got a problem with. And you take that gift, you say, God, I don't want to offer it to you right now. I want to offer it to you in a minute. I'm going to go get my heart right. I'm going to go get my life right. And you go and you get right with that individual. And then you come back and you say, Lord, thank you. Now I can offer this to you with no guilt on my heart, no condemnation in my life. I'm pure and I'm clean. And you offer that gift to the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. You know, so many times we pray those prayers of, God, we pray that this will go further than we can imagine. We pray that most, most often out here in the food closet. I'll pray that over the food that we give. I'll say, God, may this food be multiplied and go further than we can imagine. May they be blessed beyond measure. May this food that, that you know, it might be five meals worth. I'm not sure how much. It's, it's a load. Don't get me wrong. We give them a good healthy portion. But we pray God extend it out. We pray that it will last long, a long time. That should be our prayer for every gift we give. Now, granted, 
this offering of this gift is very clear that it is that it is a gift beyond ourselves. We have already supposedly gifted ourselves to the Lord. We've already done that. Your reasonable act of service is to give your life to Christ. You've already done that. But you remember that and you're reconciled and you come and you offer your gift. I want to tell you something. There'll be more people saved. We will see revival in the church. We'll see healing in the church if people will actually do what the Bible says to do. But we'd much rather just mumble under our voices, grab our four or five friends, talk about whatever it is, and not go back to the same person to get things fixed. That's the problem. And that's not just in churches, but I'm talking about in the community of the Fellowship of Believers right now. This is all over the place. It might be in the workplace. It might be in the home place. It might be wherever, but that's the problem. You got to go get reconciled to one another. So then the Lord tells us, he says, you've heard it said, you hear what I say, you want community reconciliation. And then he says this, he says, this is how you deal with societal reconciliation. Look there, verses 25 through 26. He says, agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Listen, this year was the first time I've ever been on jury duty. I'd never been called up to jury duty in my life. And there were probably, we first had to go to the, C uh, well, I ain't the CHS, but the Jasper Civic Center. We had to go down there first. And there was probably 125 people down there. They split us up into three groups. And then we had to go sit and listen to some presentations about what, what the issue was at hand for that particular court session. And I'm telling you, I'm glad they didn't ask me to stay. I was, I was uh, able to, to step away from that. But I want what, what the goal and what this is saying is, is those two people that were dealing with those things, if they could reconcile that and get that worked out before they got to that point, that's what you're trying to avoid. That's what you're trying to avoid. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. That court case that I was in, it was going to have to be handled. It was a pretty severe situation there. And, and the, Jesus is talking here, and he's telling them, agree with your adversary quickly. That means work something out. That, that word agree. Agree. Work something out. Compromise with your adversary quickly. And notice this is a change from brother. This is how we treat incidents with non-believers. This is how we treat, the, treat that situation. We work something out with our non-believing uh, community people in our society. We work it out quickly while we're on the way with them. Now, granted, it's a little different today. People walked just about everywhere they went back then. So they could catch up to them and say, hey, man, let's, let's talk about this. You know. Now it could be that you live in Winston County and they live in Jefferson County and you got to meet in the court because you had a car accident in Jasper. So it's not really going to be walking along the way and talking it out with them. But if any way we can work things out, we need to try to make that effort. We need to try to have societal recommendation, uh, reconciliation, excuse me. Sorry about that. But he says, while you're on the way with him, Romans 12, 18 says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. 
to live at peace with everyone. And that should be our goal as believers. Now, granted, we should share the gospel, and the gospel can be contentious. There can be problems. There can be conflict because people don't want to accept truth. But if anything we can do, we try to reconcile and we try to work it out so we can live at peace with everyone. Because this is what's going to happen. If you don't get it worked out, the second half of verse 25, you see what's going to happen to you. You see what's going to happen to me. If we don't get it worked out, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. And if you've ever been on jury duty, you know that's the process. That is the process. The process hasn't changed a whole lot in all these many years. So we, we need to try to be people who are about reconciliation, reconciling. Remember, Jesus is speaking to disciples. And the splash effect is getting everybody else on the hillside. But he's telling these disciples specifically, agree with your adversary quickly. You don't want to have to go to jail. Why is that? Because this is the issue. If we're in jail, now granted, we may be like Paul and Silas and we might get in there and start singing and God may shake the walls and we may have an opportunity to have somebody come to faith. That may happen. And we should live for Christ no matter where we are. But if we're stuck inside a prison, it's much more difficult for us to be able to share the gospel out and about in our community. Of course, there you got a closed audience. Boy, I'd be really set up, wouldn't I? Uh, I'd preach there for an hour and a half, not just 45 to 50 minutes. Anyway, I'm just kidding. We're going to be a little shorter today. But you hear this, you hear about the adversary, and, and, and they will take you to court, they'll take you to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. That's the process. But listen to this, verse 26, surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there, you'll by no means get out of prison till you have paid the last penny. In, in, in this time of history there in Israel, people would give themselves over as a bond servant to an extent, to that person and work out their, debt, their indebtedness to that individual to pay them back for, the, for, for what they have done or what they were indebted to. If they were thrown in prison, there was no paying that back. There was no paying that back. So what he's saying is, is there's almost no hope. There's almost no hope if you don't get things worked out out here. The Bible says in the Beatitudes, if you look back over there in chapter 5, verse 9, it said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We should be peacemakers. Make peace along the road before you have to get to the court. If not, there's going to be problems, big problems. We need to be peacemakers. You've got, we've, we've got to understand that unreconciled anger is the inner equivalency of murder, which is impossible to repay. It's impossible to repay. You think about folks that have lost loved ones. It's impossible to repay what they've lost if it's a person. It's, it's impossible to repay that. It doesn't matter what you try to do. It's impossible. They may show forgiveness. They may show grace. But you're not going to be able to repay that. You're not going to be able to repay that. And when he says... Uh, you will by no means get out of there, get out of prison till you have paid the last penny. That penny was one sixty-fourth of the standard minimum daily wage. One sixty-fourth of the standard minimum daily wage and the second smallest Roman coin in first century currency. He said, basically, 
You're going to, I mean, till there's basically nothing left, you're not getting out of jail. If you don't get this straightened out, if you don't get this right with the Lord. Listen, the Bible talks about how we should be ministers of reconciliation. That starts from a heart that has been reconciled to God. If you've experienced reconciliation with, with God the Father, then you're going to know how valuable it is to experience reconciliation within your community, how valuable it is to, to have uh, reconciliation within your society with those that are around you that are non-believers. You've got to be reconciled. Go be reconciled to your brother first and then come offer your gift. Listen, today, you want to be reconciled with God? You want to be reconciled with God? Offer your heart to him. But you must repent. In Mark 1.15, Jesus says, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was Jesus' first sermon, if you will. I know it's like basically two sentences. But that's a sermon within itself. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Today, you can do that. You can repent and believe the gospel and be reconciled to God. But listen, you're not... God, you're going to have to be reconciled to God before you're going to be able to have community reconciliation. You're going to have to be reconciled to God before you'll have societal reconciliation. We want that for everybody. We want everybody to be able to be able to serve the Lord and live a life that glorifies God in everything that we do in word and speech and action and deed. And I pray today that you have been reconciled to God because it is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. You can say whatever you want to say. You can please my ears. You can please anybody's ears in here that you want to please. But I want to tell you something. What's going to happen is what's going to come out of the heart. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved.